one of the most popular Christian books of the past few years is a book that's all about heaven. Since it was published in 2010, it has risen to the top of the New York Times bestseller list and it sold something like 10 million copies. But this book isn't a survey of what the Bible teaches on heaven. Nor is it a commentary on one of those amazing passages of scripture that give us an insight into the life that is to come. Instead, this book is called Heaven is for Real. And is based on the claims of, of a guy called Colin Burpo. That when he was just four years old, And having surgery, he actually visited heaven. In this book he describes things like how he received a halo and wings, even though I think they were too small for him. How he sat on Jesus' lap and how he met the Holy Spirit, who was kind of blue. And for many people, stories like these, and there have been many published over the last few years, bring comfort. And build up their belief in the reality of heaven and what it will be like. But are we really supposed to? Are we really supposed to base our certainty and our understanding of heaven on these sort of stories? If so, why is the Bible completely silent? about the experiences of those who did rise from the dead, like Lazarus, or Jairus' daughter, or Eutychus. And why did Paul refuse to describe his experience of being caught up to the third heaven that he talks about in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12? And what should we do when these stories contradict the Bible, And then are different from the biblical visions that are in the Bible given to people like Isaiah or Ezekiel or John. And then how do these stories match with what Jesus said in John 3 when he says no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. I really believe that God wants us to base our understanding and our confidence in heaven on something else and not on those books that have been published or those stories that have been told. In the same year that book Heaven is for Real was published a guy called Kevin Malarkey wrote another bestseller another Christian bestseller. It was called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. It's the story of his son Alex and his supposed visit to heaven after a car accident. But five years later, and after over a million copies were sold, Alex, the boy, just admitted that he'd made up the whole thing. It was just a story they'd made up. A lot of those Christian bookshops quickly pulled the book from their, their, their shelves as a result. But this is what he said afterwards. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. 
The Bible is the only source of truth. So this morning, we are going to focus on the reality of heaven. But we're not going to base it on the stories of those who claim to have visited there. But on God's infallible word. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a wonderfully encouraging passage of scripture for us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it helps us to know that heaven is really real. So verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Over the past few weeks of this letter, as we'll be looking at these amazing words written by the Apostle Paul, we've been rejoicing in some of the amazing things that we have in Christ, some of the amazing blessings that we have in Christ. We were thinking a few weeks ago how we've been brought into this new covenant relationship with God. We have God's law written on our hearts. We've been declared righteous in God's sight. We have received eternal life. We've been set free to live for God. We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We've been brought into the light of the knowledge of God. And so God's power is being revealed in us. And God's strength is available to us. And God's name is being glorified through us. But even with all of these amazing blessings... I wonder if you ever feel dissatisfied with your Christian life. Do you ever feel discontent? Do you ever long for something more than you've experienced so far? I think if we do, then we're in really good company. Because Paul describes here how he didn't have everything that he wanted. 
He wasn't completely content and satisfied. Instead, he wrote, we groan and are burdened. We sigh deep within us because we desperately long for something more. But what is that something more that Paul was longing for? Well, it included a new body. He said, we are in this tent. Paul knew all about tents. Because maybe you remember that his profession was as a tent maker. So he would know that tents were good temporary dwellings. But they were fragile. And they needed to be repaired and looked after. I'm sure most of us are glad that we're not in a tent these days in the winter. In the same way, our physical bodies, they are amazing. They display the wisdom and the power of our wonderful creator. I'm sure many of us love that psalm, Psalm 139. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. But as we thought about last week, outwardly, we are wasting away. These amazing bodies that God has given us, they are fragile. And they are susceptible to disease and to decay. And so Paul says in verse 2 of this passage, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We long for something better. Something that doesn't have the same fragility. If you've had a tough day at work, you've been digging in the garden, been lifting shoeboxes, then when you wake up in the morning and your body creaks and your muscles are sore, then you long for that something better. A body that doesn't wear out. A body that doesn't get tired. A body that isn't attacked by illness and disease. Ultimately, we long for something that isn't vulnerable to death. Paul longed for heaven so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul had lived with many reminders of his own mortality. The tiredness, the weakness, the hunger, the cold, the aches and the pains, the suffering, the scars, the, 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 the times when he, when he nearly died because he was being attacked or he was being beaten up. It's not surprising then that Paul longed for a life that wasn't heading for the grave. One that is eternal, one that is imperishable, one that is enduring and everlasting. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan, longing for that, that revolution, that transformation in our bodies. 
So Paul wasn't groaning because he'd had enough of life. Instead he was groaning because he wanted more life. Paul wasn't tired of life and wanted to die. Instead he was tired of dying. And he wanted to live. But Paul was longing for more than just a new body. Or a new life. He was longing for a new experience of God. He said, verse 6, As long as we are at home in the body, as long as we're living here on earth, in our physical bodies, we are away from the Lord. As long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Paul knew that as followers of Jesus, we've been brought into an amazing relationship with, the, with God. This is what he wrote to the church in Galatia. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. If we have put our trust in Jesus, then we've been adopted as his children into God's family. And Paul knew that God had promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. As followers of Jesus, we can be absolutely sure that today God is with us. Jesus promised his disciples just when he was leaving them, surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. But Paul also knew that for now, this is an unseen reality. Verse 7, Paul says, we live by faith and not by sight. Paul couldn't rely on his physical senses to know God's presence with him. He couldn't see him. He couldn't touch him. He couldn't feel him. Instead, for now, Paul had to rely on his faith to know that God was with him. To know that God was working in him. To know that God was working through him. And that's the same for us. Of course we can and we do experience God's presence at times in our life. We can at times feel his love in our hearts, especially in intimate times of worship. We do hear him speaking to us through his word and by his Holy Spirit. We can at times see his hand at work in our lives or in the lives of others. But we can't rely on those experiences. We can't rely on our senses in following Jesus. Because just now, we are called to trust in Jesus that he is with us even when we don't feel him close. We're called to worship him even if we don't feel his love. We're called to obey his word, even when, when he feels at times distant and disconnected. We are called to serve him wholeheartedly, even when we can't see him work in power. For now, we are called to live by faith and not by sight. 
We're called to hold on to the promises of God and respond to that in faith and belief and obedience and, and service. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. He says, for, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, we don't know everything just now. We, but we long for more. We long for that fog to lift completely and that limitation to disappear. We long for that time when we don't need to just hold on to the promises of His presence or His love or His truth or His power because we will see Him face to face. So we long for that day when He will be enveloped in His loving arms. When His truth will be made clear to us. And we can see the glory of his power. We long for heaven. But the amazing news of this passage isn't that we just long for heaven. It is that we can look forward to it. Confidently look forward to it. Paul started this passage with a phrase, Now we... No. Wasn't now we hope so? Now we wish? Now we'd like? Now we think? It's now we know. For Paul, heaven wasn't an empty wish. It wasn't a pie in the sky dream. Rather, it was a sure and certain, rock solid reality. Paul was sure, verse 1 if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, this body is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. One day, God was, is going to give him a new body. And unlike that, that earthly tent that was fragile and temporary and could be destroyed at any moment, this new body was going to be a heavenly body. Strong permanent, eternal. So we can be sure that if we've trusted in Jesus, if we put our trust in Jesus as the Saviour of our life and the Lord of our life, then that one day we will no longer experience the weakness and the limitations and the pain of our earthly existence. One day, we'll no longer be faced with our mortality. God has promised that He's going to provide a new resurrection body that will be like Christ's own resurrection body. That will be glorious. Back to 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul writes. Comparing the body that we have now and the body that we'll have in heaven. The body that is sown, that's the body we have now, is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is the sure and certain hope we have as followers of Jesus. 
But it's not just a new body that we look forward to. It's also that new closeness with the Lord. Verse 8, Paul says in our passage, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We've seen in this letter uh, uh, that Paul wrote that there are many things that he was uncertain of. He didn't know all about the details of the opposition and the persecution that he would face in his life. He wasn't even sure how this church would respond to uh, him or to his ministry. He didn't even know how long he was going to live for on this earth. But Paul was sure of this. When the time came for him to leave his body, he would be at that moment going home to be with the Lord. And this would be so much better than anything that he'd ever experienced before in his life with God. Paul knew that if he was going to be absent from the body, whether it's through natural processes or old age or illness or disease, or as it was through the execution of sword, at that moment, he'd be going to be with the Lord forever. And Paul knew that when he got to heaven, he would experience the reality of the Lord and intimacy with him that just now he could only dream about. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, he says, Now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. Just think about that for a minute. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. This amazing man of God who saw Jesus with his own eyes on the road to Damascus. Who saw God working amazing miracles through his ministry. Who saw countless lives transformed through his preaching. Who even wrote such amazing truths that we have in the New Testament. This man who knew all of that knew that the best was yet to come. This man knew that he'd only scratched the surface of what it meant to know God in his life. This man knew that he'd only begun to mine the depths of the glory of Christ. He'd only dipped his toe in the love of the Father. But he was certain that one day he would see Jesus face to face and he would finally and eternally be home. This is what John writes in 1 John 3. Now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears we shall shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. This is the reality of what heaven is. We don't need to get distracted by whether there's gold streets or pearly gates or all of those sorts of things. All we need to know is our Lord is there. And we will see him face to face. And so Paul could write these amazing words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ 
And to die is gain. To die is gain. That is not because life is not worth living. We'll see that in a minute. Life is incredibly worthwhile and incredibly precious. But it is that heaven is so mind-blowingly wonderful that the reality, because of the reality of God's presence, that nothing on earth, nothing on earth, no matter how close or how much we grow spiritually, nothing could ever come close to the glory of heaven. But how can we be sure that we will experience this? How can we be sure that we are not going to miss out? That it's not just wishful thinking on our part. Well, Paul here in this passage in verse 5 gives us two encouragements to encourage us that this is something that we can stand on. This is something that we can hold on to, that we can stand confidently in. First First of all, he said this. It is God who made us for this very purpose. It is God who made us for this very purpose. This wonderful future is not of our making. It's not something that we have devised. It's not something that we have invented. Neither is it something that we can achieve or make certain. Or work towards. Or earn. Our salvation and our place in heaven is all of God's doing. Every single part, it's God's doing. I'm going to read a a couple of verses to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. I think it expresses that even clearer for us. This is what Paul says in there, in Romans 8, 29. Those God foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Here's the process. Here's the thing that we can rest in. If we put our trust in Jesus, if we've accepted Jesus as the the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then this is the reality of God's unchanging purpose in our lives. It is God who knew us and loved us before the creation of the world. It is God who predestined us to be his children, members of his family, before we did anything to deserve it. It is God who called us to himself, who enabled us to put our faith in Christ. It is God who declared us righteous in his sight on the basis of his finished work of Christ on the cross. And it is God who will finish his work and will glorify us in his presence forever. Those God foreknew, he also predestined, he also called, he also justified, he also glorified. There's nobody who gets stuck halfway in that process. There's nobody who gets lost in that process. Nobody who falls through the cracks through that process. This is God's eternal purpose. 
if our salvation depended on us at any point in that process, then we could have no certainty. We would always say, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope so. I really long to do that, but I'm not sure. Because I might blow it. I might make a mess. I might fall. But from start to finish, from eternity past to eternity future, our salvation is God's purpose. And it's God's plan. And He will complete what He's begun in our lives. And if that's not enough for you, Paul says in verse 5 again, that He has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. As I've seen before in this letter, the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is, is only the down payment. It's only the start of what Christ has done for us on the cross. There's so much more to come. And His presence in our lives is the pledge. It's the promise. It's the guarantee that all of what Christ has accomplished for us will be ours. If we have received the Holy Spirit through our faith in Jesus, then all the rest is a guarantee from God. So we don't need to just look forward to heaven. We don't need to just long for heaven. We can know with assurance and certainty that it will be ours. That as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If God has started this work of transformation in our lives, then he will continue it and he will complete it. But finally, just before we finish, some people complain that all that focus on heaven can have a negative impact on our lives. That maybe we'll just focus on heaven so much that we'll just sit back and do nothing in our Christian lives. I'm heading to heaven. This place is only a waiting room for heaven. Or that we'll be so heavenly minded that we'll be no earthly use. That we'll just not be doing anything effective on, on earth because we'll be thinking about heaven all the time. Well, Paul rejected this idea completely. He knew that his life on earth mattered. Not just on earth. His life on earth mattered in heaven. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now the judgment seat of Christ for believers in Jesus, that's not to determine our salvation. It's not to determine whether we're part of God's family or not. It's not to determine whether we get to heaven or not. All of those things are a gift of God's grace that we receive the moment that we put our trust in Jesus. Brother, this is to determine our reward for the faithfulness of our service. Verse 10 again, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done well in the body. Paul doesn't go into all the details of what that reward will be in this passage. But it does mean that what we do in our Christian lives it matters. Not only for the few years that we're on this earth, but for all eternity in heaven. 
We can live our lives here in the knowledge that what we do for the Lord is noticed by Him. It is appreciated by Him. And one day it will be celebrated by Him. Sometimes when we serve God and we serve faithfully for year after year, whether it's in the family or in church or in in our community or wherever it is, we feel like nobody notices and nobody cares. This says otherwise. This says that even the smallest thing we do for the Lord, He will see it. He will notice it. He appreciates it. And he He will celebrate it. He will reward us. So look at the impact it had on Paul. Verse verse 9. So we make it our goal. Make it our focus. Make it our, 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 our deepest ambition. To please him. Paul was sure that what he did mattered to Jesus. And so he was single minded in his desire to do only what would please him. Only what would honour him. Only that would, that would give glory to the one who loved him. And gave his life for him. So in the face of incredible hardship and opposition. Struggle and suffering. Paul knew that one day. One day he would be clothed in a new body. He would live an indestructible life. He would enjoy a new intimacy with God. And he would be rewarded for all that he had done. And it was this truth that encouraged Paul's heart. It was this reality that empowered his commitment. And as we'll see next week in more detail, it was this certainty that energized his service. And in particular, energized his service to go out with the gospel. To share this message with as many people as possible. So today, I don't think we need to depend on the stories of other people's near-death experiences or heavenly visions to know that heaven is real. (coughs) Instead, we can stand securely on the promise of God. And we can live our lives to please the one who died so that we might live with him for eternity.